Hello, Assalamualaikum everybody. Hope you're all safe, sound and healthy. And I'm fine. And today I'm not going to talk about politics or anything. Today the subject is very different. Today this is based on language and linguistics. And it's just um, keeping in mind how many of us are born in countries where we are at the bare minimum bilingual. And so we have a tendency to shift our thoughts as well as our actual conversations between those two languages. And although we uh, are sufficiently proficient enough to stick to one language uh, for communication purposes without infiltrating the other language or without uh, adding any words from the other language, but it happens, uh, I think it begins to happen when we have a third language incorporated. So, because I've noticed this as a multilinguist myself. Um, so, I my own native language is English. And then my mother tongue, I have two mother tongues. Why? Because my national language is Urdu. And my regional language is Punjabi. And um, my other language is French and uh, I would call it as other because I really don't know where to place it because if I did not come back to Pakistan, if my parents did not bring me to Pakistan because I was not born here. So if I had stayed uh, in Africa, so English was the national language in the country in which I lived, Nigeria. And again, Nigeria, like Pakistan and like the other African and Asian countries, uh, they tend to have multiple languages spoken within the country. So the national language of Nigeria was English. And then together with that, they had two other official languages, Arabic and French. And so in class five, you would basically begin French as a basic language. And then later on, when you went on to secondary, uh, you had the choice to go between Arabic or French. It was up to you. Uh, similarly, um, there was also the regional languages. So the state in which I lived was Kanu. So I lived in Kanu city, Kanu state. So the Hausa language was the regional language of Kanu. And so that was also another language that we spoke fluently, which to be very honest, I have totally forgotten because it has been on and off 30 years uh, since I've been here in Pakistan. And I'm saying on and off because out of the 30 years, 30 years ago is when my parents shifted to Pakistan and brought us here. But after that, I left Pakistan and uh, stayed abroad again in Europe uh, because um, you could say half of my family uh, lives in and belongs to Europe. So I, but I didn't live with my family, obviously. I tried to stay as far away as possible from my relatives because to me the whole point of going abroad was to be able to live on my own independently without any interference or interruption. So I lived in Europe um, at least for four years. So um, you could say out of the 30 years here in Pakistan, I spent four years abroad again. And it's just, it's been 12 years since I've been back uh, here. Pakistan. So, yeah, so um, I'm out of touch with Hausa. I, I can barely remember the uh, basics 
like the numbers and the greetings and stuff like that. Obviously, my parents remember more since they were adults when they lived there. And so, you know, they've had to communicate in Hausa as, uh, as well as in English. So their Hausa is pretty... And, and my family friends who are mostly older than I am. And also they lived longer than I did. They were born there, but they lived longer. So they came when they were pretty much adults or adolescents. And so once again, they actually remember Hausa or Yoruba, according to which region or state they lived in. And uh, so the point is that when you're juggling with multiple languages, a time comes uh, when you start thinking, uh, shifting between each language from word to word, not even sentence to sentence, but sometimes literally you jump from word to word. And then as you incorporate more languages into your life, uh, you know, uh, because I also teach spoken English and the way I actually teach spoken English is I don't teach, I coach. In the sense is that I make people talk to me um, for an hour a day in English, in nothing but English, and that that means we we cover a vast span of topics, especially daily life. And I focus a lot on daily life conversation because that is what we basically need in order to interact. And I've kept on telling my students as well that the best way uh, to learn any language because this is how I have realized how we all actually unconsciously learn languages and how I have uh, consciously as well as unconsciously incorporated other languages into my life is um, simply by surrounding yourself with that language. Listen to that language, speak in that language, watch movies or shows or interviews or news in that language. That is how it's always done actually. That is the most effective way to learn a language and to become fluent in that language at the same time at the same time uh, if you uh, try to make it a habit to stop act to stop thinking um, you know and stop translating within your mind as you speak that helps a lot because you need to remember that the more you think about how you're going to say that sentence of that word in another language the more you hesitate and then and the more you tend to make mistakes and you lose confidence so you have to normalize thinking in the language that you wish to communicate in and you have to normalize speaking in that language and the only way to do that is to surround yourself by that language completely a hundred percent so that means that it doesn't matter what it is if you're listening to a podcast listen to it in that language if you're watching a drama or a tv show do it in that language even if you're watching a, a, a drama or a TV show or an interview or anything that is in a different language, then make sure that you add subtitles in the language that you wish to get fluent in. And this is basically how we learn our own mother tongues, you know. The, the, how do we learn to communicate as kids uh, is basically our parents continuously talk to us in that certain language. And that is how it becomes our native language. That is how it becomes our, you know, a, a main language of communication because we're surrounded constantly by that language. That's how we learn to speak in a certain language. It's the same thing. It's the same process. Only now you're doing it more consciously. Um, but there is this weird, as I was saying, a sort of a weird dilemma that begins when you incorporate more and more languages into your uh, daily life uh, and you end up, you know, uh, thinking 
um, in those multiple languages. And even when you speak, you tend to uh, unconsciously uh, use words from those other languages. So uh, sometimes when those words become a norm or are well taken, then they are added into the language after a course of time. Like how a lot of French words are added into the English language or a lot of um, uh, Roman words are added into the English language. And that is because sometimes a certain word from a certain language tends to explain or describe that word much better or express that feeling much better than the words in your own language. That's how it usually begins. Uh, so it's not necessarily a pretentious thing. I mean, there are people who pretentiously add words into other languages just to show off. But uh, the truth is that those of us who are already juggling at least three languages, um, we it would be very normal for us to shift from one language to another. So, for example, if I'm speaking Urdu, it would be very normal, especially nowadays, because I have to talk a lot in Punjabi with, with people around me. And because of that, nowadays, when I'm speaking in Urdu, I do shift to Punjabi automatically and then back to Urdu. And sometimes, similarly, uh, when I speak in English, I would find my, myself um, beginning to add words of French or Japanese or Korean, and then I have to uh, pull myself back and keep it in English. Uh, so even, in fact, even when I'm thinking uh, in Urdu sometimes that I'm, especially when I'm thinking of how I'm going to scold somebody, for example, and then, you know, suddenly words from other languages come in and then I'm like, okay, wait, 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 I'm supposed to scold him in a language he understands. So how can I bring in Bajmake or how can I bring in any other words, <laughs> you know, you know, so then I have to again start rethinking. And that is, in a way, a, a, a slight negative because then you have to start rethinking and trying to remember that word in that language that you wish to communicate because the words from other languages that have infiltrated your life are now, um, you know, creating this sort of a dilemma in your, in your conversation. Um, so... That is when we have to be a bit careful, I guess, because, you know, for how long are you going to stop yourself from saying words from absolute alien languages that people don't even know or recognize? But because those languages are a part of your life, a large part of your life, uh, so <laughs> you tend to <laughs> automatically think in those languages. So, But it's fun. I think it's actually fun also because uh, when you're looking for a word that you want to aptly describe or express, um, and you can't, uh, and you feel that your the language you're communicating in doesn't do it justice. You know that there's another word that does it justice. You know from another language. So there's that, but it is a bit hilarious actually. Uh, the way our thoughts, even our dreams, can can you imagine that you're dreaming also in a different language? Uh, originally, my dreams were always in English. And to be honest, even though I became very fluent in Urdu and Punjabi, having lived in Pakistan and having learned it. But to be very honest, I really have not dreamt, uh, at least not when I was getting fluent in it. Maybe it's because it was, again, the unconscious uh, fluency that came in because of the environment, because you were automatically exposed to the environment where you had no choice but to speak in Urdu or Punjabi and, you know, add to it. But I don't know, it might be that or it might not be. But the, the fact is that I really did not dream in Urdu or Punjabi for a very, 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 very long time. It, it, had, it was years and years later that I would dream a few dreams in Urdu. 
never in Punjabi as far as I remember. And yet, when I, uh, and I never dreamt in French too, as far as I remember, maybe once, but no, I don't think so. Despite the fact that this was a language in which I did my bachelor's and I did my master's and I did the Delph and Dolph and, you know, and I went and lived in France and everything. But yeah, no, as far as I know, I, I've never dreamt in French. But strangely, strangely, um, when the constant exposure of Korean languages and Japanese and Thai and Chinese uh, in my daily life, very, very weirdly, <laughs> uh, I ended up, I actually started dreaming in Japanese, even though I was more exposed to Korean. And I actually find Korean easier to understand, to be honest. I find it very, very easy to understand. I can somehow relate to the words. Actually, most Asian, in fact, I think the more relatable language is Thai, because uh, there are a lot of words in Thai language that are used in Urdu, uh, like Chor and uh, Chand. And, you know, there's so many words and they have the same meanings. Um, so they may have a slight pronunciation difference, although actually, to be honest, in most of the cases, they have the exact same pronunciation as well. So, I mean, that is why, I guess you, you know, as we say, that's why it's called the Indochina, uh, you know, geographically speaking, because, yes, there are a lot of words. Uh, and pronunciations and meanings that we share, They're, they come from the same root, uh, from, you know, the Indo root, you can say. So, actually, despite the fact that the Thai language sounds very complicated um, or difficult pronunciation-wise, but actually, their words, they have a lot of words that are very, very close to Indian words, and in fact, some of them are exactly the same, with the same root, same meaning, same pronunciation. Uh, when it comes to a way of expressing ourselves, the way we express ourselves and the, the, the kind of expressions we use and the sentence construction is also very similar, actually, in this whole region. So if you look at it that way, that's probably another reason why it's easy to understand the languages, because the, uh, we have similar construction, we have similar uh, formation, we have similar expressions. And we have uh, similar idiomatic uses of those, you know, expressions. So we can relate to that. You can say it's very easy to relate to that. Actually, that's another way I find myself very, uh, why I find it very easy to learn any language is because as soon as I un understand one or two words and how they sound for some odd reason, I instinctively can automatically understand how the society thinks. And when I understand how that society thinks, then I automatically uh, can construct sentences in the exact formation or grammatical or constructional formation as it's done in their countries or their societies. So to me, actually, that is how I learn another language. I just understand how they think. When I understand how they think, then I understand how they speak. It's as simple as that. So. I actually do enjoy languages. I enjoy uh, learning languages. I enjoy listening to the different sounds. Some of the sounds in, in our languages, they sound so weird and so strange and so odd. And then there are some sounds that uh, sound so beautiful. And, you know, just, just the way they say it, the way it's pronounced, it just comes across as, as extremely beautiful, even if the meaning may not be beautiful. That is one of the things I love about languages. Um, 
for example, in Urdu also, there are so many words that are just so beautiful. They sound so beautiful. And then there are certain words in Arabic or in Persian. But actually, the Arabic and Persian words and Turkish words, uh, as you know, Urdu has a lot of Arabic, Turkish, Persian, and Sanskrit words in it. So Urdu is already an amalgamation of uh, various languages. So we share a lot. For example, we say Acha. The, the Persians also say Acha, and as far as I remember, the Turkish also say Acha, and we have the same meaning. It means it all means the same thing. It means okay, and it also means fine, and it also means good. So depending on how you're using it. So uh, similarly, uh, our, when it comes to greetings, all Muslim countries have the same greeting. Uh, it's always the same, obviously. But then after that, how you ask, uh, you know, how you are. That is where it changes. For example, in Hausa, it would be, you know, in Agajia, Bagajia. So, you know, there's that. And then in, oh, in Urdu, we would say, Kaise hain aap ya kaise mizaj hain? You know, so that is when you become a little more poetic or formal. You would say, Kaise mizaj hain? But it is also used in a, in a humorous way. It's also when you're being slightly, um, you know, slightly more friendly also with somebody then also sometimes you would say guess image because it is essentially a formal way of asking how are you uh similarly you know uh, in french now it would be como talibu or como vatu now again in the that's another thing the reason why french is known as the persian of the west is because unlike western languages um french tends to follow the uh, the style, the connotation, you can say the construction, the expressions of Eastern languages, of Persian or of Urdu or of, you know, other languages. So the way they construct their sentences is very similar to the way we construct our sentences. The words they use to express certain, uh, uh, or to describe certain things is again similar to us. So... The sounds are also very similar to ours. That is why it's very easy to, for them to pronounce our words perfectly and for us to pronounce their words quite accurately. So there is that. Uh, but it's interesting. I've, I've always found it very interesting. But it's strange, okay, to be very honest, it is strange. There are two languages uh, that made me think that maybe I was losing my touch and that maybe I wasn't as good at picking languages as I thought I was. One is Bengali, and the other was Chinese. With Bengali, I always felt as if they were speaking... Uh, I mean, imagine, take Punjabi and turn it upside down and completely um, make it nonsensical. So take all the rules of Punjabi or take all the sentence formation of Punjabi, take take the construction of Punjabi sentences. The reason I'm saying Punjabi is because the sounds are very similar to Punjabi sounds. Okay, take all of that and then just just turn it over, just completely flip it upside down. And that's Bengali. That's what I kept from feeling. I felt as if they took all the rules of Punjabi and they just messed it up and turned it upside down and that's how Bengali came. I mean, that's how it sounds, really. So it was very, very hard for me to actually begin to even make out the head of the tail of, of the sentences, if you know what I'm trying to say. 
So there was that. And then when it came to Chinese, the problem with Chinese is, although, mind you, um, this is something that you will see in Thai, in Korean, and even in Japanese, but especially in Korean as well, you will see a lot of nasalization of words. So V's become B's and G's become K's and vice versa. And the N is nasalized. And so it's imagine that you have a cold and you're speaking. So that's how the words, that's how they usually pronounce their words. Uh, but with Chinese, it gets somehow even it further than that. I mean, it's not like you're just having a cold when you're speaking the words. It's not just um, nasalization, but it's just complete. I think it's maybe because they're just crushing all the vowels and the words into each other. You know, um, like, for example, if you have a, a, a two-syllable word, um, so if there's any consonant in between the two that could, you know, serve to break them up so that you know that this is a two-syllable word, they kind of eat it up in between. That's how it feels. So you can never really clearly um, check the enunciation. That is basically it. So for example, in Urdu, we have a very clear enunciation. Right? And even in English, you have a clear enunciation. That means that you can actually listen to the sounds of the words, you know, and so you know how they sound. Even in Korean, despite the nasalization of, of the words, you can actually see how they begin and how they end and which, which sounds are made to complete that whole word, you know. So, for example, even if it is mun, but they're saying bun in, Kore in Korean, so you know, okay, you, you know that, okay, and if, and if it is mul instead of bul, but they're saying bul, but you know it's actually mul. Again, it doesn't matter, but you, you actually, you can hear the, the M, the B, or the L sounds. You can hear the sounds. But with Chinese, you just can't really hear where, which sound begins, which sound comes in between, and which sound it ends with. But, but, when you listen to Taiwanese people speak Mandarin, um, then it's actually beautiful. Uh, it sounds beautiful because they, they enunciate. So the difference between the zhe and the z is clarified. Um, where in Chinese, in, in mainland China, in Mandarin, you tend to hear a lot of zhe, even when there's supposed to be a z in between, or a sh. So they will make a sh, z, and z sound all the same. But when you listen to a Taiwanese-speaking Mandarin, you will clearly see the difference between the sh, the z, and the z. So that is amazing, and it's and the sounds are beautiful. And then you realize what a beautiful language actually Chinese is. And you can actually listen to the the enunciation of the words, <laughs> and so you can see which the which letter the word has begun with, and which sound or letter it ends with, and if there is a consonant or a vowel in between. So there is that. So I, it's it's interesting. It's very interesting. The, um, I think I think another thing that was uh, interesting is Japanese because apart from Korean, I found the other language easiest to catch was Japanese. So to be honest with with Bengali, I felt as if I you know was under an illusion or misconception about myself that I was good at languages, but I'm actually not. But when I st uh, started with Korean and Japanese and I could immediately get the hang of it, again, I could get the hang of it because I immediately could think the way they thought 
and I could understand the words and so it was so easy so I thought I was back on track until I listened to Chinese and then again I was beginning to you know boggle and then I listened to Thai and but again I got it so I think I think one of the other languages that is actually very easy to learn or understand is Japanese again because the Japanese people are very clear in their enunciation uh, generally yes they are very very clear in their enunciation so you can see the sound you can listen to the sounds you can understand uh, the formation of the word, you know. So that that is interesting, and I kind of liked Japanese. I guess maybe that's why, despite the fact that I was more exposed to Korean, I dreamt more in Japanese. <laughs> well, interesting. It's really interesting how we dream in languages that we actually are not even very fluent in in, in real life, and sometimes we don't dream in languages that we could, we are actually very fluent in. So I think it's a sort of a a testament to our spiritual realm that we travel to when we're asleep. I actually love, I love exploring the world and I love exploring languages and I love cultures, different cultures, because I feel that in all our differences, I mean, that's what I've always noticed, in, in all our differences, uh, underneath it all, we're the same. We have the same problems, we have the same pressures in life, we have the same stresses, we have the same society pressures. Um, we, you know, uh, all the women all over the world, we share the same kind of problems and crisis. All the men all over the world, they again share the same kind of stresses one way or the other. So it's, I mean, if you if you remove all the superficial layers that make us different from each other, at the end, we're all the same with the same problems, with the same thoughts, with the same dilemmas, with the same stress levels, with the same pressures, and at the end of the day, the same society. So enjoy learning languages. Just surround yourself by whichever language you like. And you will notice that when you surround yourself by that language and you're constantly listening to that language, you, you automatically start, uh, you start speaking in that language. And even if you don't, even if you aren't yet fluent in that language, but you begin to understand you begin to understand that language and then you, you find yourself that you can actually start thinking in that language. And that is how you normalize speaking in that language without hesitation, without uh, dealing with confidence issues and without awkward pauses. So here's to all the flavors of the world, the languages, the cultures, the beauty and diversity. Stay safe, stay, stay healthy and hold the hands. Bye-bye.